What's good, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Amitelica TIS podcast with your host, yours truly, Jai Shields, here on this September the 24th. Weekend of Friday, September the 24th, the year 2021. Got lots to do, lots to talk about as far as the world of sports is concerned. Give you my two cents on Ben Simmons having the absolute chutzpah, the temerity, the unmitigated gall to request a trade uh, out of Philadelphia. He wants no parts of the Philadelphia 76ers for the foreseeable future. I will get into that here at the top. Give you my two cents as there's some uh, items of business as far as uh, the major league, ba- as far as the pennant chases that's happening in major league baseball, uh, I will get it. I will get into that along with the little controversy that was earlier in the week between the Toronto Blue Jays and the Tampa Bay Rays. I'll get into that. I will preview week three, the week three uh, matchup to the National Football League. Give you my picks against the spread, and you better believe I'm gonna sound off on this asinine, and I do mean asinine. If there was a stronger word for stupid in the English dic- dictionary, I would use it because because this makes because nobody and i do mean nobody wins uh with with this dopey uh ridiculous inane stupid dumb er- erroneous idea of putting a playoff game on monday night football i mean i mean i just I, I, I again with with the NFL, you just you, 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 you I, I I don't I don't get it. But anyway, I'll save and week three picks against the spread. I'll save that a little bit later on in the program. What also I cannot believe uh, is just the chutzpah and the cockiness and the arrogance and just the 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 gall of Ben Simmons. The same Ben Simmons that almost gave me a heart attack back in the summertime, if you guys remember correctly, while I was screaming, while I was scaring my head off because this dope, who's six eleven, two hundred and forty pounds, point guard in the National Basketball Association, could not make a tap-in layup or a dunk when he's right underneath the basket when his team is reeling in a in a uh, in a second round playoff series against against the Atlanta Hawks on the road in Atlanta and at home in, at the Wells Fargo Center in front of Dr. J uh in front of Dr. J uh Allen Iverson um and I forget all the other players that I named during that rant but you get the idea now comes out earlier this week and says he wants out. He wants out of Philly. He wants no parts of the organization. He wants to request a trade. He's not going to show up to training camp. Training camp starts for the NBA in in about a few days, if not a week or so. Uh, the season starts starts a little less than a month from now. Wants no parts of the team. No parts of Doc Rivers, Joel Embiid, uh, Tobias. Nobody wants wants no part. Uh, the the owner, the GM, uh, Daryl Moore. He wants no parts of him. And for Ben Simmons, who collapsed like a cheap suit and embarrassed himself, and embarrassed himself, embarrassed his family, embarrassed his friends, and embarrassed everybody associated with Ben Simmons and the Simmons last name, embarrassed himself and the franchise in front of the all-time greats that sat courtside in that play in that playoff game against Atlanta and Philadelphia. 
and embarrassed himself uh, and, and embarrassed himself in front of America on television. For him to sit up there and and to say, you know what? After the criticism and the critiques that he's gotten from the pundits of the world, such as yours truly, Chris Russo, Stephen A. Smith, you know, from the people that that uh, that have a platform that criticize that criticize athletes and debate and 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 analyze sports from guys like us to the to the Charles Barkleys and the Shaquille O'Neal's of the world that as Shaq likes to say the guys that have G14 classification to critique and to and to uh, analyze with a you know under a, under a very harsh microscope guys that have played in the NBA for over a dozen years uh, Shaq, I, I did Shaq play for the 76 I don't think he did. I know Charles, I know Charles did. Charles, who's a Philadelphia 76 for himself. Shaquille O'Neal, who's one of the greatest big men in the last 25 years of sports I've ever seen, with with many amounts of championship rings. He he and Charles both in the Hall of Fame, whether it be the M, whether it be the NBA legend or the or the schmuck like uh, or or the schmucks that are on. Uh, that are on YouTube, podcasting, national radio, ESPN, whatever, because of the fact that he cannot handle the criticism from all corners of the sports world, whether it be the whether again, whether it be the sports writer, the whether it be the sports writer, the sports talk show host, the commentator on television, the blogger, the podcaster, the former NBA, the NBA, the retired NBA legend, a la Shuck, Shuck. Shaq, Shaq and Chuck, the the Philadelphia 76er fan, he's getting abused from all sides. So because he is getting ridiculed, and again, rightfully so, because it's not like that he doesn't deserve it and that this criticism isn't ill-timed or isn't warranted, because it is. Because he cannot handle the fact that he could not make a layup when the ball was right in his hands, there was nobody near him, he was right underneath the basket in the latter stages of a second-round playoff series at home. He decides, you know what, to hell with everybody else, I went out of Philadelphia. That is an absolute, that, that's a joke. That is a joke. And even if you're the individual that is for the NBA, that is for the player empowerment and players jumping ship and players calling the shots and everything else, even if you are that type of, even if you are that type of person, Shaq didn't play for the 76ers like I thought. Uh, but anyway, it's not here nor there. If you are that type of person that is typically pro-player, you know, pro-player movement, pro-player saying, you know what, to hell with the franchise, to hell with the bosses, to hell with your team at time, why not? Even if you are that type of person, you have to. And you would be an idiot not to say Ben Simmons is out of line here. Because it's not like that, you know, it's not like that. Let's be, fa- let's be fair and let's be honest. Let's be objective. Let's call it right down the middle. Let's call it like we see it. It's not like that Ben Simmons has been, you know, has been Dr. J, Charles Barkley, or Allen Iverson uh, when, it come, when it comes to his efforts in trying to get the Philadelphia 76ers a championship. Okay, this guy, this guy is, not, is, not, is not top five, hell, top ten best point guard in the sport. He's not better than Dame. He's not better than Harden. Not better than Kyrie Irving. He's not better than uh, Damian Lillard. He's not better than Steph Curry. He's not better than uh, Jamal Murray. I mean, you can call it a roll. 
He's not top five or top ten best point guard in the sport. And for him to pout, moan and groan, and to say, well, I, and essentially take the avenue of, well, because I can't handle criticism, I'm taking my ball and going home, is absolutely ridiculous. Ridiculous. And Ben Simmons ought to be ashamed of himself. Instead of sitting up there farting around, going to these stupid soccer matches like I saw him doing back back uh, back in the summertime, farting around with it and smooching and smooching uh, sideline with his dopey girlfriend for the whole media to see. How about Ben Simmons swallow his pride, get you know, put the ego aside, put his big boy pants on, drop his ball, swallow his ego, bite the bullet, swallow your pride, and say, you know what? I am part of the reason why the part of the reason why this franchise has underachieved and the reason why this franchise hasn't done hasn't done anything in this last current run in the last five six years or so i'm the reason why i'm the guy that i'm the guy that that that, that's getting paid hundreds of millions of dollars to play a kid's game and i'm i'm the team starting point guard supposed to be one of the best player along with them be this this team's face of the franchise i'm the reason why this why this team got bounced in the second round Okay, this is this isn't like this isn't like you know he, where 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 Ben Simmons is world above and is worlds better. Everybody else that's on the, that's that's on the, that's out there on the court, his teammates out there playing with him. Okay, he got outplayed by Kevin Hooter in that game seven. Kevin Hooter And Ben Simmons has the temerity, the audacity, and the un- the chutzpah and the unmitigated goal to sit up here and request a trade out of Philadelphia. Are you kidding me? When you have done absolutely nothing as a Philadelphia 76er, but embarrass yourself in the playoffs. Embarrass yourself. And for anybody who's going to sit up here and has the nerve to defend Ben Simmons, you need to you need your head examined. Because this because this guy stunk in the postseason at a historic, embarrassing level and rate was absolutely pathetic. Pathetic. Again, one last freaking time. Game seven. Played 35 minutes, attempted four jump shots, got to the free throw line twice, shot 50%. How about game? How about game five against Atlanta, June 16th? Played 38 minutes, attempted four jump shots, made made half of them, got to the free throw line 14 times. Again, 14 times made four of them. Free throw shooting percentage in that game, 28%. Free throw shooting percentage the game before, he got to the line five times. Free throw percentage, 20%. Got to the free throw line game before that. Percentage from the free throw line, 50%. Got to the line only twice in their win over Atlanta in game two. 0 of 2 from the free throw line. 
game one against Atlanta, got to the free throw line 10 times, shot 30% from the free throw line. And this is a guy who, again, is making more money than is making more money than you can shake a stick at, who's a point guard, who's due $33 million in sal who's due $33 million at the end of this past season. Entering his second year of a five year hundred and seventy seven million dollar contract and this useless gutless soft bum has the temerity the audacity and the unmitigated goal to request a trade when he shot okay when he shot Sixty-one percent from the free throw line this past season, and in the postseason, shot. Oh, what's what's his postseason numbers? And in the postseason, has shot or did or or ended up shooting. Excuse me. Why can't I freaking find this damn thing? Shot. I think it was uh, this, this stupid basketball reference page has eyes at all screw. I believe he shot 40, 42% from the free throw line in the playoffs, making $177 million in a five year contract, and he shot 33%. From the free throw line in the Atlanta series and shot 34% from the line in the playoffs as a whole. Again, shot 33% from the free throw line in their series against Atlanta and shot 34% from the free throw line throughout the entire postseason this past summer making 33 million dollars a year over a hundred and seventy seven million five-year contract and this joker has the balls to request a trade because either he can't handle the criticism or he straight up and down just don't want to work I don't know which one it is and I quite frankly don't care you're a point guard in the National Basketball Association, 6'11", getting paid handsomely to play a kid's game. What the hell is the disconnect? Can somebody explain? I mean, this, again, five, second year of a five-year, $177 million contract. As a point guard for the Philadelphia 76ers in the NBA when he just had a postseason in which he shot 34% in the postseason from the free throw line. 
And this guy has the nerve to request a trade. Really? I mean, you, you, you couldn't make this stuff up if 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 you tried. You real, you really, really can't. And again, if anybody out there is going to sit up here and try to defend this, you need your head, your brain donated to science when you die because there's no defending this because it is not like that this guy has gone out there and has averaged and has averaged 27 10 and 12 every single night shooting 90% from the line that he he's he's a he's not that type of player and two even if he was that type of player he hasn't been putting up those type of numbers I could see and I could I wouldn't agree with it, but I could see and I could somewhat un- understand, put my finger on it and fathom if he was if he was averaging 27, 10 and 12 being almost automatic from the free throw line. But you know what? He wasn't. In the regular season, Ben Simmons was 14 Seven and six with a free throw percentage of 60%. If you're, I mean, again, I said it back in the spring and I'll say it again. Ben Simmons might be one of the most useless basketball players I've ever seen. He's six foot 11, scared to death to dunk the ball. When he was wide open underneath the basket in a home playoff game, that I mean, that in a nutshell is all you need to know about Ben Simmons. That is all you need to know. Underneath the basket, I forget what the score was. Underneath the basket, late fourth quarter of a second round playoff series at home, wide open. Layup, dunk, you pick and choose how you want to score. And he basically says, nah, I don't want it. Here, guys, you take it. And again, was he got outplayed by Kevin Hooter in the game seven. Did we forget that? When he's making, again, one more time, $33 million over a five-year, $177 million contract. Yet this guy wants to trade out of Philadelphia because either he can't take the pre- he can't take the pressure, can't take the heat, can't take the criticism, or he's or he's delusional and and and, and thinks that he's that he's done no wrong in all of this, which is hard to believe and and hard for me to wrap my head around. I mean, just when I heard this, when I read this, I I, I was speechless. My jaw hit the floor because I'm like, Ben Simmons, Ben Simmons, really now? This guy, Ben Simmons is going to sit up there and have the nerve to go up to Maury in the front office to request a trade when he when he was the most useless basketball player on that court in that series against Atlanta. Getting paid handsomely 
to essentially do nothing but be afraid to shoot jump shots and miss free throws. Yet, yet he, yet he wants to request a trade, and he's out there farting around at these stupid soccer matches, whatever the heck he was doing early in the summertime with his dopey girlfriend. Yet, yet Ben, get again, hundred and seventy-seven million dollar contract, and Ben Simmons can't make a free throw in a, in a playoff series with the game with his season on the line, let alone games season on the line, and he's getting out outplayed. At home by Kevin Hooter, and he can't and he can't make a stinking free throw. Getting paid thirty three million dollars a year as a point guard. I mean, you you got to be kidding me. And again, it's not like he's averaging twenty seven, ten, and twelve, top ten, top five best point guard in the sport because he's not that. Curry, Curry, Kyrie, Harden, Jamal Murray, Dame Lillard. Shall I continue? All better than Ben Simmons. By a long shot. Nobody cares about his stupid defense. He's a point guard in the NBA in 2021. If you, can, if you can't make threes and can't make your jump shots and, and, can't, make, and can't make baskets, easy gimmies at the free throw line, you know what? You have no business being in the NBA. And if I was Daryl Morey, ironically enough, he sat up here and sent out that tweet about China and Hong Kong of, uh, two years ago. Here's what I would do: He'd be like, "All right, Ben Simmons, you went out of the out of the uh, out of Philadelphia. I'd book I'd book. I don't know if you can do this, but I'd book him on the first flight and and put together a trade where he's playing in in the Chinese basketball league in Shanghai for crying out loud. See if I care." I mean, who in the who who does Ben Simmons think he is? Honestly, the chutzpah of this guy. If I was Darren Morey, I'd ship him on. I'd ship him out of Philadelphia to have him go play for China somewhere so fast, wouldn't know it at him. I got Ben Simmons now requesting a trade when he was not bad. But pathetic, pathetic in the postseason against Atlanta. Again, with Dr. J, Allen Iverson, Allen Iverson, and all the other legends that were sitting courtside in the in that arena back in early June, and Ben and I got Ben Simmons now wanting to request trades to start calling the shots. What a crock of bull! Honest to God. You're listening to the Amatelica TIS podcast on speed on a Spotify, Anchor, Anchor FM, uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and Stitcher. Just getting started. The chutzpah on Ben Simmons. I, I I'm telling you, I don't know if you can do it, but I would send Ben Simmons. I I'd either send him to China or send him off to an NBA wasteland and see if he wins anything there. What 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 what? I mean, you you want to talk about soft? This guy is as soft as a freaking sponge cake. Can't take the heat. Get out of the kitchen. And before you sit up here and start casting stones and worrying about crying and uh, uh, how dare such and such criticize me? Look yourself in the mirror because you stink as an NBA basketball player. 
when seasons are on the line and when championships are to be won and lost, you cannot be counted on, which is a shame when you're making $33 million a year playing for the Philadelphia 76ers, who's been a playoff contender the last four or five years or so. Back after this. Welcome back to the Amatella Katia Years Podcast. Switching gears now to Major League Baseball as we give them uh, some time and attention uh, here on this program. Uh, first, as we just go down the list here, first off, the San Diego Padres, you know, for all of the, for the rah-rah and the hype and the smoke and mirrors that was heading into this season and how they, and how they even played at the beginning of the season back in the springtime, they have just, they have, I mean, they haven't just, you know, fallen off. They have absolutely collapsed this season. Um, just to go back, I predicted them to went to go 93 and 69 and finish as a wildcard team. But this was a team that back on, back, I mean, it's just ridiculous just how much they've collapsed. This, on May the 26th, okay, May the 26th, they had a 98.4 to be exact, according to fan graphs, a 98.4 percentage back, in, back on May the 26th of making the postseason. It is now uh, September the 24th. Their percentage of went well. This this was from fan graphs of three days ago. I don't know, you know, if it's uh, risen, risen or declined as following. But as of three days ago, according to fan graphs, their percentage of making the postseason at three point three percent. As of right now, they are currently sitting at seventy seven and seventy five. Two games. Below or excuse me, two games above five hundred. The division is out of reach. They've lost seven out of their last ten. They are bad on the road at thirty-two and forty-two. They do not win on the road. They're two games. They're two games over. They've lost seven out of their last ten, and they're currently five games back of the Reds, 
the Phillies, and the Cardinals for the second wildcard spot in the National League. Five games behind, and there's only a week and a couple of days left in, left in the season. They play the Padres at home this weekend. They took care. They uh, they play the Padres. They have a doubleheader actually on Friday against the against the Braves. Excuse me. Then they get. Then it's a game Saturday, a game Sunday against the Braves. Off day, and then it's on the road against the Dodgers and the Giants to finish out the season. And the Dodger and the Dodgers and the Giants. Those games will be. Uh, any cakewalks because of the fact that the Dodgers and the Giants, although both guaranteed to make the postseason, Dodgers clinched the postseason spot earlier this week. Uh, Giants, of course, clinched their uh, playoff berth uh, last week, as I discussed. But both of those teams are only separated by a mere one single game for first place in the National League West. And they get the Dodgers and the Giants to close out the season. And oh, by the way, this weekend, their last uh, homestand of the regular season, this weekend they get the Atlanta Braves who are sitting at 80-71 and 71, uh, trying to uh, keep distance from uh, the Philadelphia Phillies to lock down the division in the National League East. So this team, I mean, they, they've imploded. You know they they allow they allow AJ Pro the GM allowed allowed the uh, Dodgers to snatch uh, Scherzer right right front right from the uh, right from their grasp. You know they had you know the trade went down to around the trade deadline. Oh we had oh the pod Max Scherzer's going to the Padres. Psych the Dodgers got him at the last second. They fumbled the Scherzer trade. They have not pitched well. You know Machado and Tatis getting getting into fights. Uh, getting into fights, getting into disputes, getting into arguments, uh, you know, in the dugout. This team's been a complete mess. The manager, the manager has no idea what the hell is going on. This team has absolutely imploded. Imploded and nosedived this season. I mean, you want to talk about the the uh, a, a greater disappointment during this uh, during this baseball season as 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 the season, as the regular season season is winding down. How about the San Diego Padres? This was a team that that was you know rah rah you know Dodgers. And I heard playing this earlier on in the season. Oh, the Dodgers and Yankees. Dodgers and Yankees aren't isn't the real base isn't the real big time rivalry in baseball. The Padres and the Dodgers is. Well, really, uh, because uh, you know the Dodgers—they've clinched the postseason. They have like a twenty-game uh, lead. Uh, they have there's twenty games in between the Dodgers and the Padres in the NL West. The Dodgers are going to win the division. The Padres are not. Uh, the po- the Dodgers are going to hit a uh, hundred. Are going to hit a hundred wins come Sunday morning, most likely. Uh, meanwhile, the San Diego Padres have won 77 games, and the Detroit Tigers have only won 74. They're a mere three games better than the short remote short rem- than the once removed hundred loss Detroit Tigers. Think about that for the Detroit Tigers are 74 and 78. And the San Diego Padres are seventy-seven and seventy-five. When they threw money at Machado, they threw money at Tatis. I mean, I don't know what I don't know what the issue is. I mean, 
the, the obvious thing is that the manager has to go at the end of the season because for his team to nosedive and implode like it has essentially since the All-Star break is an absolute joke and is another disgrace, especially after all the money that, that this team went out there and spent in the previous off-seasons as recently as last, uh, as recently as last winter. They signed Tatis to that mega contract, and all I heard was the Padres were going to give the Dodgers a run for the money. They were going to make the Dodgers sweat to win a National League Western Division championship. A few people had them going to the World Series and even winning it, and yet this team is a mere three games better in the win column than the Detroit Tigers. And the Detroit Tigers, sorry about that with the mic. And the Detroit Tigers are a team in the middle of a rebuild, stuck with, still stuck with Miggy Cabrera's contract, whose whose payroll is toward the bottom, is towards the uh, the seller in the sport. While the Padres went out there and spent all that money, are a team that was supposed to be a World Series contender, and. They might might end up missing the postseason altogether, and might finish at eighty one and eighty. Or if things really get interesting, they'll finish up below five hundred at eighty and eighty two, or seventy nine and eighty three. Think about that for a minute. The Detroit Tigers. The rebuilding Detroit Tigers, who are one, who were, who are only one hundred and sixty-two game season removed from losing over a hundred games, the Detroit Tigers, who nobody had to be competitive this season, I believe their over/under number for the season was like in the sixties, who nobody figured at being at, at being competitive this season, sure as hell were not a a, a playoff contender or a playoff team or a World Series contender by any stretch of the imagination. They are a mere three games, three games better than the Detroit Tigers as of late September of 2021, second to last weekend of the regular season. That, that, I mean, that, that is absolutely ridiculous. So my solution is is that you send the manager and and also the and also you know Jace Tingle. This is the same guy that that blamed his team's pitching struggles on Larry Rockschild, the old Yankee pitching coach, and they sent him out the door as the scapegoat. Did you remember that? They said, you know, the team was struggling. They couldn't pitch. They were getting knocked around all over the ballpark left and right. So they make Larry Rockshot out to be this, out to be the scapegoat. And things still haven't changed since because then because they're nose diving, nose diving right into, uh, right into an October with no postseason baseball. Despite all the hype, despite all the attention, despite the players on the team, and despite the big time lu- the big time expensive lucrative contracts. They 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 they're literally going to be no better off and no wor- they're going to be no better off and and be no better in a, of a and be in a no better place than the Detroit Tigers. Then the Detroit Tigers, the Minnesota Twins, the Cleveland Indians, the Colorado Rockies of the world. 
I mean, think about that. And and the thing that and the thing that's even more damning is that the Padres are only six games better in the in the win loss column than the Rockies are. And the Rockies were supposed to be this team that was that was supposed to implode, be that horrendous team that nobody saw coming, but you did see coming because of the because of what went down with Arenado. They were supposed to dump Trevor Story at the trade deadline. They didn't do that. And the Padres are only a mere six games better, only have a mere six-game advantage over the frickin' Colorado Rockies, who are supposed to be in the basement of Major League Baseball teams this season. They're only a, they only have a six-game advantage over them. Crazy stuff, man. And, and, and regardless how the season ends and how it goes, with a, Jace Tingler, out the door. Out the door. Seen enough, heard enough, had enough. Get out. This falls on you. Your team had a damn near 100% chance of making the postseason back in May and June, and you've nosedived since the All-Star break. You stink. Get out. Padres are team number one. Team number two, Cincinnati Reds. They folded too. Now the only difference with the Reds is that nobody expected them to be there. But the but the Reds, who again like the Padres, looked like that they could have you know, that they could you know, that they you know could have cruised their way into a, into the playoffs. Uh, you know, are sitting a mere three games above five hundred. They too have lost seven of their last ten. Uh, Thirteen games behind Milwaukee in first place in in the Central, and are uh, five and a half back trying to chase down division rival St. Louis and the Phillies for that second wild card spot. So the Phil- so the Reds have folded as well. So we say good night to the Reds and good night to the Padres. And then of course you have this uh, dispute between the Blue Jays and the Rays earlier this week, where it's in which Kevin Kiermaier came and slid slid home and slid home in their game uh, earlier this week down at the Trop. And the catchers, because uh, I guess nowadays in the days of analytics and and everything else, where you know back when I was growing up, you could you couldn't do this. The only sport I knew where you could li- where you could literally have a card and have information out there on, on on you know in the field of play was football. You know, with with the play call sheet, the defense. Okay, that was the only that was the only sport and the only instance where where you know where I found it to be acceptable for you to have you know little cheat sheets and little notes and little uh, play play sheets on, on physically on you for you to look at during the field of play, and it wouldn't be considered cheating. But now in this new day of analytics, you know, you all the all the players have them in their back pockets so they can position themselves, you know, prior to each at-bat, where to stand, where, where how to shift, where to shift. Is this guy going to bunt? How to play the bunt? What do you do, you know, in a situation where there's runners on first and third, less than two outs? You know, the the catch, the, 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 play, the pitchers have it written on an index card inside of, inside of their cap. The catchers now have it like a like a quarterback where they have it where they have it on the sleeve that they look at uh, in between pitches and prior to and prior to at bats on the thing. So Kevin Kiermaier comes uh, you know slides slides in slides in the home and the and the and uh, the uh, Blue Jays catcher his little his little uh, sheet card thing falls out falls off falls out of his um, you know his wish his, his whether he had it in his pocket his band whatever. 
falls out of it. It happens to be right in front of Kiermaier while he, you know, what he's he's already slid home, and there the card is, sit, you know, staring him in the face right in between his legs. He picks up the card, gives it to Kevin Cash. The Blue Jays find out about it, and it becomes a huge major ruckus, you know, where the uh, where the Blue Jays feel the need to peg uh, Kiermaier's next that bat up uh, later the next day, you know, in a late in the latter stages of a game that's all, that's already decided. I believe the score is like seven to one or something like that, and then they decided to you know, play this beanball nonsense uh, with Kevin Kiermaier. You know what the Blue Jays have to realize is that if you're going to sit up there and bring and bring these analytical cheat sheets onto onto the uh, onto the field of play, and if you end up losing it, and it, and if you know if it falls out of your possession, and the opponent sees it and says, oh, you know what, we can do something with this." I'm sorry, this isn't like the Astros thing. This, this, you know, with the with the stealing signs using the technology and and the signals with the banging of the trash can, this type of sign stealing is is it's, it's part of the game. It's gamesmanship, you know. So what I mean, would expect everybody to everybody to uphold and then apply by some honor code. I mean, give me a break. If if the if the card is right there with the signs and the information that Kiermaier thinks that his team could use that would put them in a better and would give them a better chance and a better and put set them up in a better opportunity for him to win baseball games, then you know what? If he wants to take it and and, and he finds use to it, let him. If you have an issue with it, make sure that your cheat that your cheat sheets and your analytical stats and all that other and all that quote unquote classified information, make sure it isn't it isn't it you know, on you in any way or doesn't or it doesn't fall out of your, you know, your waistband, your back pocket, whatever, back of your pants. Make sure that it that it doesn't get exposed, so the other team can basically, you know, casually walk by, and not have to go out of the way. It's like, oh, what's this on the ground? Oh, the Blue Jays, uh, Blue Jays little, you know, little card thing on how on how to pitch, uh, you know, on how to pitch uh, Randy or Rosarena, you know, on a three on a three one count. So it's, it's fair game. It's fair games, gamesmanship. It's part of sport. Don't like it? Then be more careful next time. But to go through with the bean ball and throwing at guys and throwing behind guys, and then we gotta have the benches empty and the cavalry charge from the dugout. I mean, it's so stupid. It's so juvenile and so petty. It's it 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 it, it becomes you make you're making a mockery out of the sport at this point. It's it's just again if it was if it was Kiermaier or Cash you know breaking rules and underhandedly you know uh, a la Spygate or like the Astros recording video so to get the signs and then relay with the that's one thing, but Kiermaier sliding in the home plate and the card just happens to be in front of him and he picks it up, puts it in his back pocket, takes it into the dugout. Hey, fair game. It's a part of sport. Don't like it. Be a little more. Be, be a little bit more careful with your, uh, you know, with with your with your game notes and your signals and your stats and all that classified game information next time. The Blue Jays raised little uh, fiasco that was earlier than in the week that I saw and heard about is item number three. Item number four is the Toronto Blue Jays. Speaking of the Blue Jays, the Blue Jays, Red Sox, and Yankees. All who are who all who are in a bind to get there's only there's three teams involved 
Uh, and and if you want to, if you want to include Seattle, who's two games back, go ahead and knock yourself out. Uh, those three teams, three teams in the AL East, only two wild card spots. Boston has the advantage for the fifth, or excuse me, for the first wild card spot by by a mere two games. Yankees hold that spot. Uh, are, are behind Boston by two games, down by two games uh, in the win-loss column for the for the, to, for the right to have that wild card game in Yankee Stadium. They're behind Boston by two games, which is why the Boston-New York series has a little bit of uh, juice coming up. And then, of course, you have uh, Toronto and Seattle who are on the back end chasing them. Seattle's once right is riding a current five-game winning streak. They've won seven out of the last ten, while Seattle has gotten a hold of has gotten a hold of things essentially since the. Month Month of August, they've lost, they've dropped two in a row, but they're 85 and 86, and only a game behind the Yankees for that second wild card spot uh, in the American League. That's something to keep an eye on as we head into the weekend, uh, and of course leading up to uh, the next show. Keep an eye on Yankees, Red Sox, Blue Jays, and Seattle. Four teams, only two can secure uh, the the two wild card spots in a, in a uh, in the right to play postseason baseball uh, coming up next month, uh, and then of course you have uh, and then of course like I previously mentioned with the Padres, you got a race for the National League Western Division Championship between the uh, you know between the Dodgers and the Giants, only separated by a game. Giants playing phenomenal baseball. They just don't lose. They've won six out of the last ten. Dodgers have won eight out of the last ten. Only a mere game separates these two opponents. The Dodgers this weekend, uh, go ahead and check. The Dodgers this weekend are, where are the Dodgers? They are at, uh, they are in Phoenix this weekend to play a weekend set against the Diamondbacks while the San Francisco Giants are in Colorado to take on the Rockies, a Rockies team that has played very, very, very well at home this season. Give Bud Black a ton of credit. They're one of the they're one of uh, baseball's best 46 and 29 at home this season. So the Rockies will not be a tough out for the Giants, no pun intended. This weekend at Coors Field, where the uh, where the Rockies have played great baseball at home all season long, while the Dodgers get uh, the National League doormat that is the four, that is the forty nine and one hundred four uh, Arizona Cardinals, who have dropped eight out of their last uh, ten games uh, recently. And then is these last two things I want to get off my chest. Uh, that don't you know that aren't pennant chase related, but two baseball opinions that I want to uh, that I want to that I want to address here. First off, Bryce Harper has had an absolutely phenomenal season. Uh, has had a phenomenal season uh, this year. Quietly, you know, I have you know been busy with college and of course the NFL and all this and all the stuff, so I haven't really had a chance to uh, give Bryce Harper his due. But he's had a, an absolutely phenomenal season, hitting three twelve. Uh, 33 home runs, 80 RBI, excuse me, goodness gracious, 80 RBIs, 33 home runs, hitting 312, OPS of one of uh one of 1.050, OPS of one of 150 with the zero, of course, in front of it, and um, his slug, you know, just to read you off here, and his last um and his last 15 games, he's hitting 4 413, excuse me, with an un 
Okay. On base percentage of five. On base percentage of five eighty two. Slugging percentage of eight ninety one. Hitting five home runs, fourteen RBIs, drawing twenty walks uh, on nineteen hits, fourteen runs. Bryce Harper has had an absolutely phenomenal MVP caliber caliber season, and if the Phillies make the playoffs, he absolutely one hundred percent should get the majority of the votes for MVP. He's third in the National League in average behind uh, former teammates Trey Turner and uh, and uh, Juan Soto. He is fifth in the National League in home runs behind Arenado, Muncy, Alonzo, Duvall, and Tatis. He is, uh, where is he? He is down the bottom of the, where is he? He's 24th, so he, you know, he's he hasn't driven in nearly as many runs as Duvall with the Braves with 109. Nolan Arenado's driven in 103. Ozzy Albies, 101. So he's not in the, he's not uh, amongst the, the big boys' top 15 as far as, as far as RBIs are concerned. But he does lead, uh, he does lead the National League in OPS He's third in National League in average, uh, fifth in home runs, and uh, slugging percentage. He's tied for first with with uh, Tatis with uh, with uh, six eighteen. So Bryce Harper's had a phenomenal season. That is uh, opinion number one. Opinion number two uh, is Vladimir Guerrero Jr. in his MVP stuff. Uh, and first off. And first off, let me just be abundant. Let me just be abundantly clear. Okay, I understand that Shohei Otani has been the story in sports this season, or at least the story in baseball. The two-way player, he's pit, he pitches, he's hit, he hits. He's hitting over 40 home runs this season. Got a good ERA. Started in the All-Star game uh, for the American League pitching-wise. Batted, I believe, he also batted lead off. Competed in the home run derby. So I get that. And Otani, the unicorn, you know, one of the best electrifying players that uh, North American sports has to offer in 2021. I get that. He's a hell of a story, and he should be celebrated. And, you know, hopefully he can get on a real team where he's playing October baseball. But the bottom line is Shohei Otani is not, under any circumstances, the American League MVP. For quite a few reasons. First off, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. for the Toronto Blue Jays is hitting... Amir hitting 320, hitting 322, leading the American League, uh, leading the American League in batting average with 320 with uh, with a 322 average. He's got 46 home runs, 105 RBIs, and an OPS of one point of 1.025. Okay, he's again leads the American League in home runs, batting average. Fourth in RBIs this season, and leads the American League in on-base percentage, slugging, OPS, hits. Along, think about that. Leads the American League in batting average, on-base percentage, slugging, OPS, hits. Is fourth, fourth, in the American League in RBIs and is tied with Salvador Perez and is one home run better than Otani with 46 to Otani's 45 in the American League home run total. And oh, by the way, uh, 
the Blue Jays are 85 and 68, a game behind the Yankees for the second wild card spot in the American League postseason picture. The LA Angels are eliminated from the postseason and are 73 and 80. And have lost seven out of they have lost seven in their last ten games. I understand he pitches, I understand he hits, and that's something that we've never seen before. But put everything into perspective. It's not most it's not most outstanding player, it's not most amazing player, it's not most polarizing player, it's not most history making player, it's not most uh interesting player it's most valuable player Vlad Jr. could single handedly not that the Blue Jays team is filled with a bunch of scrubs because it takes a team effort to be a mere one game out of the, the final wild card spot in the American League but again when you lead the American League, when you lead the American League in almost every major hitting category outside of, really, outside of RBIs, when you lead the American League in home runs, batting average, runs, on-base percentage, slugging, OPS, and hits, and the team that he plays on is 85 and 68 and a game behind the Yankees for the second wild card spot in the American League you got to give him the MVP especially no less especially when he's in a situation where next weekend when the when the regular season dust settles when all is said and done could walk away with the triple crown Something that does not happen on a year-in, year-out basis. And if he ends up winning the Triple Crown or comes close by a single RBI and the Blue Jays are playing a week from... uh, are playing two weeks from this upcoming slash next Tuesday... And the Angels, of course, are not. Vlad Jr. gets the MVP. Without without question. Don't overcomplicate it or make it any deeper than what it already is. Vlad Jr. should get the American League MVP. When you lead the American League, again, one more time, in average runs, on-base percentage, slugging, OPS, hits, and in home runs, and are a me and are sitting in a and are only in fourth place by, albeit ten RBIs as far as the total RB as far as the RBI total leading the American League. You you give it to Vlad. You get again. I understand that Otani. He's something that we've never seen before, and he's a unicorn. He's this, that, and the other. And he's 9-2 this season with a 3.28 ERA pitching. But let's 
let's be a little bit uh, uh, let's be a little bit objective and get and get off the Otani train for just one minute. Because what Vlad Jr. is doing, it also deserves to be worshipped, celebrated, and praised beyond belief. And and Mike and the OC, I don't care and I don't need to hear, and it's irrelevant. Well, does Vlad Jr. pitch every fifth day? Irrelevant. Okay? He makes up for it considering the fact that he leads the American League in damn near every single major hitting category. And and, and, he, and he's not hitting 301, 302. He's not flirting with 300. He's hitting 322. He's hitting for average, and he's, hit, he's hitting for average. He's hitting for power, and he drives in runs. And his team can end up playing in the postseason. Your Angels will not. Okay? If Vlad, if Vlad, if Vlad Jr., if you take Vlad, and here's also what the most viable player argument. You take Vlad Jr. off the Blue Jays, the Blue Jays... The Blue Jays aren't aren't a game behind the Yankees for the second wild card spot. They got to be chasing, you know. They're you know they're chasing, you know they're right there. They're probably along the lines of Cleveland and Detroit, you know. With you know with a win total in the mid seventies, or in o- or in Oakland's case where they're four or five games behind. Trying to chase them along with along with a few other teams that are ahead of them. You take you take Otani off the Angels. All right, they lose they lose they they lose about ninety to a hundred games. Big whoop. The whole point is is that they're not making the playoffs anyway. With or without Otani, they're still going to be sitting at home, twiddling their thumbs, come the first Tuesday. Of October. Take Vlad Jr. off the Blue Jays. Blue Jays are are you know they got in they they have the they get, they got the Cleveland Indians record, or like the uh, Oakland A's 80, 8271 with a fight with, with a with a fighter's chance of trying to make the postseason, where they don't control their own destiny. Take Otani off the Angels. All right, they lose eight. They lose ninety to hundred games. Big deal. They're still not making the postseason anyway. And again, Vlad Jr. Hell of a season and is more valuable and is more important to the Blue Jays' success than the Angels. Otani at this point has just be is is in the, is in the stratosphere with Trout, where he's his own individualistic show and spectacle. Where regardless how well Trout or how well Otani plays, the team is still going to stink. The team is still not going to be able to pitch, and the team is still going to miss out on playing postseason baseball year in and year out. Not to mention, Otani is hitting. What is he hitting this season? He's hitting. I don't want his pitching stats. Give me his. Give me his hitting stats. His hitting stats. MLB. Thank you. Not to mention, Otani's hitting, two fifty five. His average has fallen off since the All Star break, which you figured what would happen. But he's hitting two fifty five. 
on top on top of all of this. Not saying he's not a great story and that he isn't something to be celebrated, because he is. But let's get off the Otani train and take off the Otani glasses for one moment to have a little bit of objectivity. With or without Otani, the Angels are still a bad baseball team. Can't say the same. You cannot say the same about Vladimir Guerrero Jr. And that reason alone. All you got to do is just ask yourself that question. And that reason alone is why he should get the MVP. And if the Blue Jays make the playoffs, it should be a lock. And if he and if the Blue Jays make the playoffs and he somehow some way wins the triple crown, it should be unanimous across the board. I don't care. I don't care what Otani does. Vlad Jr. somehow, some way, ends up pulling this off and wins the and wins the uh, wins the triple crown, and the Blue Jays make the playoffs. Without a doubt, Vlad Jr. should get MVP. Without a doubt in the world. Get to the NFL. Back after this. Welcome back to the Amatelica TIS podcast. Switching gears out to the National Football League. Let's preview week three of the National Football League, uh, shall we? Uh, Just a couple games just to keep an eye on uh, here uh, as you head into your uh, football weekend this weekend. Uh, Game number one between Washington uh, that I'm intrigued in is uh, Washington and the Bills. Washington, of course, uh, thanks to the implosion and the mistakes and ineptitude of Joe Judge and the New York Football Giants, uh, escaped their escaped their game last Thursday night with a win. They uh, play their first road game of the season up in Orchard Park against the Buffalo Bills, who beat the uh, Dolphins quite handily. Uh, of course, with no Tua knocking Tua out of the game. Uh, knocking two out of the game in the first half in their win uh, down in South Beach uh, as they uh, got off of the schneid after their disappointing uh, week one collapse against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, If you're the Buffalo Bills sitting here at 1-1 and and Washington sitting here at 1-1, I'll do Washington first. Uh, Washington, you know, you just want to build off of the momentum that you had, uh, that you had, Back in week two, a few, you know, about a week, a week or so ago, you know, strong quarterback play from from Taylor Heineke, limit the turnovers and limit the mistakes, which they did. Uh, you got to be able to run the foot, you know, run the football well. You got to be able to to develop a bit of a running game, of course, uh, with Antonio Gibson. 
uh, with Antonio Gibson in the backfield. Uh, utilize your receivers. Spread out the uh, spread out the Buffalo Bills uh, offense. Make them uh, make them stop you throwing the ball. Uh, of course, and then of course, and then on the defensive side, Washington's defense has not, you know, has not been great from our defense. That was one of the best in football, and one of the reasons why they ended up making the playoffs and winning their division last year. Uh, you know, so the defense has to play better. You cannot, under any circumstances, allow Josh. Now they didn't have a great day offensively, but you can't allow uh, the Bills to put up thirty points and expect you and expect to win the game. You gotta keep. Uh, you gotta keep Buffalo. Uh, Buffalo should score no, no more than uh, than twenty seven points in my eyes in order for Washington to win the game. Uh, so you gotta find your best to contain and control Josh Allen. Force him to make those. Stupid mistakes by scrambling and running all over the place uh, outside the pocket. Get a good pass rush. Make sure that Sweat and uh, and uh, Chase Young and that and that uh, vicious defensive their deep and their deep and that vicious defensive uh, front that Washington has gets after Josh Allen. Make sure that they don't let you know Stephon Diggs go nuts uh, with the long passing game. And from a Bills perspective, uh, make Taylor Heine- uh, use Taylor Heineke's inexperience to your benefit. Force mistakes. Force turnovers, uh, get at uh, force force mistakes, force turnovers, and on the offensive side of the ball, carve up the carve up their defense and make sure that their defense can't get can't get off the field and force three and outs when you encounter when you encounter those third and sevens, those third and eight, third and nines, and third and sixes. That's game number one. Game number two is the Colts and the Titans uh, inner uh, inner division. Divisional matchup in the AFC South. Uh, you know the Titans coming off of a comeback victory after they were down 15 points on the road to Seattle. They return. Uh, they had a quick one-game road trip, and all of a sudden they're back home again, uh, taking on the Indianapolis Colts, who began their season on the road, dropping their first two against the Seahawks and the Rams. They look. They look to get off the Schneid against their first. In excuse me, in their first divisional uh, game of the of the new season. Wentz's ankle should be a factor, but it looks like he's going to play. Um, that's something to keep an eye on. Uh, Wentz's mobility to scramble in and out of the pocket with his two bad ankles. Uh, so keep an eye keep an eye out on that, and then keep an eye out on the Titans. You know they're going to look to give the ball to Derrick Henry. First two games, you know Derrick Henry has not ran the ball well in the first half and in the first quarter. Uh, you know where the Titans have been out of have been out of sync and been out of rhythm. You know typically they want to give the ball to Derrick Henry to begin and kind of and work it and use the and. Have that as their game plan, you know. Have Derrick Henry come out running the ball strong, running the ball efficiently, start to wear down their opponent's defensive front early. So then eventually, you know, if they get tired, sets up the play action, and you allow uh, Ryan Tannehill to work his magic, throwing, throwing, uh, you know, throwing his passes uh, downfield to AJ Brown. And uh, of course, Julio Jones. So, see, interesting to see if the Titans can, uh, for the first time this this season thus far, if they can develop the run and be able to run the football early and efficiently 
uh, in the game to begin to begin things off against Indianapolis. Couldn't run the ball well in the first half. Was just absolutely pathetic at running the football. Uh, they did hell of a job because you know again, like I said earlier this week on Wednesday, they ran the ball a whole hell of a lot and did an excellent job running the ball. Derrick Henry essentially took over that game offensively for the Titans in the second half, but they did not run the football real well in the first half. Let's see if they can uh, change the tide against their uh, in, in their game. Excuse me, against the Colts. Uh, on Sunday afternoon. And of course you have my Bengals and the Steelers. The Bengals of course, like I said on Wednesday and if you haven't, if you didn't hear Wednesday show, go back and hear and uh, listen to it, which I recapped all the week two action. Uh, you know, the Bengals came out they, they were flat as a pancake. Offense was out the lunch. Defense already didn't let the Chicago Bears go crazy. Way too many instances where they could not get off the field on third down and force a three and out. They allowed Andy Dalton and the Bears to march down the field on the opening drive to, to put up an easy touchdown. Uh, you know, undisciplined. You know, made. You know, didn't they didn't go nuts with the, with uh, creating a whole hell of a lot of penalties. But the penalties they did commit, they ended up uh, benefiting Chicago. Or uh, or setting themselves back in their offensive drives throughout that game. Joe Burrow, worst game he's ever played as a pro. Uh, turning over the football all over the place. Too little, too late before that offense and the offensive play callers and the coaching and excuse me and the coaches have started to get a little uh, pep in their step to you know, say, all right, you know, that's uh, you know, it, we're we're in a football game now. It's about time we start making some things happen. Russ was going to go home with an L. They went home with the L, uh, nevertheless. Uh, and then, of course, on the Pittsburgh side, you know, offense was flat as a pancake. Uh, they could not get anything going against the Raiders' defense, which has impressed me and, and has improved uh, so far. So far, so good in the first two games of the new season. Defense allowed Derek Carr to go nuts. I believe he he threw for over 400 yards in their win against uh, in their win against Pittsburgh at Heinz Field last Sunday. So if you're the Steelers, you don't you have no Deontay Johnson as your wide receiver. Ben is going to be iffy with with the pectoral muscle. Got to worry about T.J. Watt who aggravate who uh, injured his groin in their loss against Vegas last week. So you got to be concerned about T.J. Watt's health if he's a hundred percent. He should keep the Steelers in the game just because of the fact that the Bengals' offensive line again is uh, is garbage. But uh, so T if T.J. Watt's healthy and if T.J. Watt is raring to go and and uh, and isn't uh, so badly injured or hurt to the point where where he's where he's useless as far as getting after the quarterback, then the you know then it could be a long day for Pittsburgh. But if the Steelers can get after the quarterback, develop a pass rush. Uh, and force Joe Burrow to make the mistakes that that he uh, that he made in Chicago last Sunday. Steelers have a chance of uh, of winning this of winning this game. The, what's going to win Pittsburgh this game, folks, uh, is their is their defense. It's keeping the is is forcing the Bengals three and out, three and out, three and out, forcing them to punt the football, forcing Joe Burrow to make mistakes. Not allowing Joe Mixon to go nuts and containing Joe Mixon, not allowing him to run the football like crazy. Keep uh, you know T Higgins is doubtful with the shoulder injury. He looks like he might be out of the uh, equation as far as the passing attack is concerned. Um, and then of course you got and then of course you know make sure T Higgins, excuse T Higgins, Jamar Chase, Tyler Boyd, keep them in check. Hold uh, you know keep. Uh, 
Joe Mixon from running for rushing for over 100 yards, get after Joe Burrow, make his life a living hell, and force him to and force him to get rid of the ball early to avoid the sack, and then eventually, you know, as the Bengals always do, they vomit on themselves, and Joe Burrow's going to make mistakes. So if the defense plays well, and if the defense shows up. Uh, if Pittsburgh's defense shows up and stays consistent throughout the afternoon, there should be, you know, and 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 the Steelers' offense plays decent. I'll put it to you that way. Plays decent. The Steelers should win this game. You know, twenty-three, seventeen, seventeen, ten, seventeen, three, seventeen to nothing, fourteen nothing, ten three, ten nothing, without an issue. Uh, so it's going to come down to the Steelers' defense for you know when it, if the Steelers want to win this game. If the defense doesn't show up and allows Joe Burrow to carve to, to carve up the Steelers' defense left and right, and they allow Joe Mixon to go nuts, you know, for 23 carries rushing for a buck 05 and two touchdowns, it's going to be a long day for the Steelers because again their offense is 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 shot. It's gone, non-existent. Ben Roethlisberger's old shot finished. Finito Kaput, Deontay Johnson is going to be playing with an injury. He's out the mic. He's out the picture. And then, of course, the overrated Juju Smith-Schuster and Chase Claypool. Good luck uh, with that. As the Bengals try to build off of the momentum of beating the Steelers in that Monday night game before Christmas uh, last uh, last December. And the Bengals also are trying to get their first. Uh, road win in Pittsburgh since 2015. Keep an eye out on that. And of course, you had the Chargers and the Chiefs. Chargers, of course, uh, coming off of a, a defensive slugfest that was uh, impacted uh, a bunch by ref ball in their loss, in their uh, gut wrenching uh, loss to the uh, Cowboys back last week. They look to see if they can get off the schneid. They're sitting at one to one. Their first divisional game of the new season, along with Kansas City, as they go into Kansas City to play the Chiefs, who are sitting at one and one. Whose run defense, as I discussed on Wednesday, is an absolute joke. Worse than I understand. It's the first two weeks of the season don't want to necessarily overreact, but you can't. But you have to analyze and have to see things for what they are. And that is the first two weeks of the season. The Chiefs' run defense has been absolutely atrocious. Uh, and, then, and then not just the run defense. There was moments where their secondary looked like Swiss cheese when they allow when they allowed Lamar Jackson to make plays with his arm throwing the football uh, last Sunday night. So the Chiefs looked to get off. Both teams looked like they looked to get off the Schneid. Chargers want to score more points. Chiefs looking to try to keep them from doing so uh, as they want to you know try to uh, clean up their defense, which has been an absolute eyesore to watch if you're a Chiefs fan uh, for the first two weeks of the season as they uh, return home uh, this season here in week three. Here the uh, Chargers, of course, with Herbert, you know, had a rough game. Wasn't all, all his fault. Again, Chargers got screwed nine million times with two touchdowns getting taken off the board because of the ref ball. But Chargers got to play better offensively, which I which I expect that that he and they should. And the Chiefs, you know, just you know, it, the Chiefs are going to show up. You know, Mahomes and company. My issue is if I'm a Chiefs fan heading into Sunday, is not worried about the offense. My issue is. Is uh, you know when Mahomes when Mahomes and company 
does their job and goes down the field and scores seven points. I'm concerned about if I'm a Chiefs fan about Herbert, Herbert, Keenan Allen, and uh, Austin Eckler going down the field, you know, like it's nobody's business in a heartbeat. Going down the field on our defense like it's nothing and dropping seven and dropping seven points right after the fact. So if I'm a Chiefs fan, I'm like offense. We're we're gonna be all right on offense. My issue is. Is the defense not going to allow the allow the Chargers and Herbert to go up and down the field and score 50,000 50, times? You know where where we got to depend on where we got to depend on a, on a on a fluky play, whether it be the fumble, botch, snap with the punt in the Browns game, or something fluky along those lines for us for us to get a little bit of separation from the Chargers, so we can put the ball in Mahomes' hands, we can put the game away. So that's that's my that's where your stands for when it comes to the Chargers and the Chiefs on Sunday, and then the Bucks and the Rams, Buccaneers, of course, who are uh, who are the only t- who are there's only seven teams that are two and o- that are two and zero oh to begin. Uh, only seven teams that are two and zero oh, uh, this season, and the Buccaneers, you know, they've you know the Cowboy game they had they had to gut that one out and fight uh, and scratch uh, tooth and nail to beat, and then of course they had the lowly Atlanta Falcons, who are going to be one of the worst teams in the NFC. Uh, they took care of business against uh, them last week at home. The Bucks' first road game. Uh, first road game of the new season after opening there oh, after opening the 2021 regular season at home uh, for the first two weeks they go ahead and play the Rams who return home coming off of their first road win of the season uh, against the Indianapolis coach which in my opinion was a little closer than normal but you still take a win and uh, finishing two and zero, the Rams are another team. One are the second of the seven teams in football that have started their season two and zero. So if you're a Rams fan, you still take that. One of these teams isn't going to be undefeated uh, come sun. Uh, come uh, what eight o'clock, eight o'clock uh, Eastern time Sunday night uh, at the latest. Uh, the Buccaneers, you know, Brady has just been off the charts. Their defense concerns me. You know, they let Dak, they let Dak go nuts. Uh, throwing the football all over the place. Michael Gallup and Amari Cooper had a field day week one. Week two, they allowed uh, you know they allowed Matt Ryan and the Falcons to put up a, tel- a hell of a lot, a ton of a, a hell of a lot of points against them. Uh, in week, you know, this isn't this isn't 2016 NFL MVP Matt Ryan. Also, let's be fair, and Julio Jones is off the team, uh, and Julio Jones and Devonta Freeman are off the team. So let's go. So they gave up a ton of point, more points than they should have, uh, and made that. And at one point in the game, made the game a little bit too close to, uh, for comfort in their in their win against Atlanta last Sunday. Uh, and then, uh, like I said, to give they let Deck Prescott go nuts in week one. So I'd be concerned about the Bucks because uh, the Cooper Cup Matt Stafford connection uh, looks like it could be a thing of beauty and could be uh, and could be up there with uh, with um, you know Mahomes Mahomes and Hill uh, Brady and Brady and Brady and Gronk slash Brady and Evans slash Brady and Antonio Brown uh, Stephon Diggs and Josh Allen could be up there with one of the, you know, uh, Baker Mayfield, Jarvis Landry, could be up there, Russell Wilson, DK Metcalf, Russell Wilson, and uh, Tyler Lockett could be up there with one of the deadliest wide receiver quarter, quarter, English, Jai, 
wide receiver quarterback combinations uh, in the sport. One of the best, Cooper Cup and Matthew Stafford. They've gotten off to a hot start over there uh, in uh, Hollywood. Uh, for the Rams so far this season. So if you're the Bucks defense, you got to find a way to shut that down and not allow the Rams, you know, to score, you know, 28, 31 points on you. You got to try to keep the Rams out of the end zone as as best you possibly can. And if you're the Bucks, you know, you got to you got to find a way, you know, scoring will not be as easy as it was against the Cowboys defense in week 1 or the Falcon defense in week 2. This this is the first real defense that the that the Bucks have played in a good little while in a game that mattered. Essentially, the first defense of note that they first uh, real good defense that they've played of note since uh, you know since the Saints playoff game back in January. It's not going to be a, it's not going to be an easy task going up uh, going up against the Rams in that defense with. Jalen Ramsey manning the controls with the, with his buddies in the secondary, and then of course Aaron Donald's going to be breathing down your neck. So again, and it's Brady's first ever game in the in the city of Los Angeles. He's played all these years. He's never, uh, you know, he's never played a he's never played an LA team. Played the Chargers and the Rams last year. Those those two were uh, were both home games. Played the Rams, of course. That game was the Super Bowl that w- that was played down there, uh, down in Atlanta. First ever game, first ever time uh, Brady's ever played in Los Angeles. Should be a doozy. Many people say it's the uh, it's the game, it's the signature uh, game of the weekend. Buck Aikman and Aaron Andrews be all over it for you for Fox. Um, but the Bucks got to find a way to score going up against that vaunted Rams defense. Uh, hold, keep hold, and keep Aaron Donald in check. Not let Jalen Ramsey take over the game uh, and deflect with uh, deflecting passes and intercepting the ball all over the place. And the and the Bucks also cannot allow the Rams to drop. You know, to even if they end up winning the game 35-31, they can't let they cannot let the uh, Rams offense. Go nuts with Matthew Stafford throwing, you know, three thirty-seven, three touchdowns, and have uh, Cooper Cup walk out of there, you know, with uh, with a ten reception, hundred hundred and twenty-seven yard, two touchdown catch performance uh, when the day is all said and done on Sunday, and in the Sunday night game uh, of the uh, weekend between the Packers and the 49ers. Packers again. This is a game that if I'm a Packer fan, this uh, this this game is where you see when the when the rubber meets the road and to see what the Packers are really made of. You really get nothing. Home opener, Monday Night Football against the, against the uh, rebuilding since 1957 Detroit Lions. That doesn't mean anything long uh, in the big picture long term. This game against a perennial Super Bowl contender in the San Francisco 49ers does. A team that they failed to beat and got smacked and knocked around in the 2019 uh, NFC Championship. This game matters. This game does. 49ers home opener coming off of uh, playing in Detroit and playing in Philadelphia. First two games uh, of the season. Offense really struggled. Uh, Offense really struggled against uh, Philadelphia against Philadelphia last week, and their defense wasn't anything to write home about against the uh, Lions the week before. See if we can get a little bit of a little bit uh, 
of consistency from the 49ers of playing solid ball on the defensive side like they did last week and playing great offensively as they did against the Lions back in week one. And, of course, the Packers, it's showing what you got against a real team with with Nick Bosa in your face, a part of that uh, 49er defensive pass rush. So we'll get to see if the Packers are for real uh, come Sunday night in their game against the 49ers. They also get to see where the, where the 49ers stand as this is also their first uh, real opponent of the 2021 season as they enter this uh, as they enter uh, into uh, Sunday night's game 2-0 as well. So that's your little week three preview. I will sound off on this asinine idea that the NFL somehow, some way, agreed upon as a Friday morning to play a Monday night football playoff game and week three picks against the spread. This is the Amatella Catalia's podcast, wrapping up the show right after this. Welcome back to the Amatelica TIS podcast. Let me sound off on this just this stupid, moronic, insane, inane idea uh, by the NFL that I said I was going to get to earlier in the program. That the NFL, I tell you, there is not a company in America that love screwing up their own product more than the people in the than the people that work uh in the league office for the NFL you want to talk about something that is so stupid stupid beyond comprehension something that makes no sense and something that i hope is a one time thing and will be uh, eliminated come the 2022 NFL season. And that is the idea of a Monday night football playoff game. You heard right. A Monday night football playoff game. Ladies and gentlemen, explain to me how this makes any sense. Let me begin with the players from the player standpoint, and then I'll get to the fans. Okay, first off, and I don't want to hear from Goodell or anybody in the league office, well, we care about player safety, and the health of our players is the most important thing, and, you know, we take the health and we great precaution with our players seriously, yada, 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 because that all falls on deaf ears now, at least in my eyes. And they, and I'm calling them out on their bluff. Because you, there's no defense and there's no reason, none whatsoever, to have a Monday night football playoff game where the winner of that said game will have a short week, regardless 
How you slice it, whether they play the next Saturday or whether they play the next Sunday, they're going to have a shortened week regardless. And there's a reason why in the 100 plus some odd history of the NFL, why we don't play playoff games on Mondays and on Monday and Thursday nights. That's a regular season deal. There's a reason why. Football, you play your playoff games on the weekend. Period. That's how, that's how it's been throughout the test of time, and that's how it's supposed to be. You play your games on Saturday and Sundays. That's it. Not Monday night, not Thursday night, not Friday night, not Wednesday. Weekends. That's how it's supposed to be in the postseason. That's how it's supposed to be. And I could give a crap about ESPN wanting to placate Walt Disney because of a multi-billion dollar deal they just signed back in the springtime so they can continue to have the rights to Monday Night Football. I could give two horse craps what Disney wants and what Disney thinks. This is the NFL. They're supposed to tell the leagues what to do, not the other way around. Okay? That's the first thing. And the second thing is, I don't want to hear the NFL sit up here and cry poor. Well, we put the game on Monday. We put a playoff game on Monday. You know how much ratings we'll get and and the money that we've lost. Bullcrap. Okay? You all just signed a multi, not million, billion with a B, billion dollar TV deal with the networks this past spring. You were not baseball and had your season cut it cut and cut more than half halfway, having to play a sixty game schedule with no fans, and having to play postseason games in neutral sites with no fans. You weren't baseball. You weren't the NBA that had their season cut short to a certain degree and had to play essentially the last ten dozen game, the last dozen games or so in your regular season, and all of your postseason and and the NBA Finals in a in an antiseptic bubble down in Orlando and Disney World with no fans. You weren't the NHL that had to take their businesses up to Canada in order for them to complete a season with nobody in the arena. Okay, granted, and uh, granted, you had some games where you didn't have fans in it, and granted, you had some playoff games where you didn't have fans in it. And yes, you did have a Super Bowl down there in Tampa this past February where it wasn't a normal Super Bowl where you had media people from all over the country, hell, all over the world fly down to Tampa and make your hospitality money that way. And you didn't have Raymond James Stadium with 100% capacity with every seat filled by a human being instead of it, you know, having it be 50% people, 50% cardboard cutouts. I get that. But you still, out of all the major uh, North American team sports leagues, you had the normalest of a season, if that's a word I'm rolling with it anyway. You still had the normalest of a season out of all the other leagues. Baseball had 60, baseball had 60 games. NHL and the NBA didn't play the full uh, 82, and they had to finish up their seasons in a bu- bubble with no with nobody in attendance for their for their uh for their playoff games and their championships. There were fans in the stands at the Super Bowl. There were fans in the stands at Lambeau in the NFC championship game. There were fans in the stands down at Arrowhead in Kansas City. 
Granted, did you have granted did you have playoff games out like Tampa and Washington or uh, or Cleveland and Pittsburgh when there was nobody in the building? Yes, but you were playing you were going on with the season in the middle of a pandemic. You didn't have any games canceled. You got all of your games and all of your weeks in. So I don't want to sit up here and listen to the NFL sit up here and cry poor, especially when they just signed that multi billion dollar TV contract earlier in the spring. I don't want to hear him cry poor. I don't. And I, and I, and I call bluff and I call BS if the, if if Goodell or anybody in the league office or any owner sits up here and tries to convince me otherwise. Because that's a crock of garbage. So, and I don't want to hear anything about player safety. Okay, In the playoffs, playoffs now, where rubber meets the road, Put up a shut-up time, you lose, you go home, you win, you move on. And with every win you get, the closer and closer and closer and closer and closer you get to competing in a Super Bowl for the NFL championship for that season. And there should not be a reason why teams, regardless if they, and I'll sit up here and say, well, if you don't play the Monday Night Football game, win your division. Shut up, okay? Shut up. Okay, the punish, yes, there, sh there should be incentives for winning your division and getting higher uh, playoff seeds, but to the point where they have to play a Monday night playoff game because, gosh darn it, ESPN has to play, or excuse me, the NFL has to placate ESPN and Walt Disney, that's crossing the line when it comes to screwing up the competitive balance. The number one, think about it. Think about it for a minute. The number one seed is going to is going to get to bye week and gets to have and, and gets to have a home game, so they don't have to travel. Meanwhile, the team that's that's going to get screwed playing the Monday Night Football game is going to have. Granted, they might. Granted, they'll have an extra day of preparation coming off of the regular season finale, week eighteen. But if they win the game, they get they get a short week. And they're behind an eight, and they're behind the eight ball. Then, then they're next, and they're and they're put in a situation where they're behind the eight ball compared to their opponent. That's going to have a full week of rest, a full week of preparation, and a and and not have to travel more times than not. So I don't want to hear about player safety. I don't. Because you think it's fair and you think it's safe for these for these football players after you already jammed an extra game of the a, a unnecessary, meaningless seventeenth uh, uh, game down the NFL players' throats. Now you say, "Oh, by the way, go ahead and go ahead. You got to play a Monday night a Monday night playoff game, and if you win, good jolly, your season's still alive. You're one game closer to the Super Bowl. But oh, by the way, you have a shortened week. You got you got to play Saturday or you got to play Sunday. I mean, totally unfair, and it's totally unsafe, and I, it's just and it's complete slap in the face to every single NFL player." That's on an NFL roster. A complete slap in the face. They they might as well spit on them. They jammed Thursday night football down the NFL players' throats. And then we add this unnecessary, stupid, asinine 17th regular season game. Because all the all these greedy, gluttonous NFL owners and Goodell, because he's their bag man that does their bidding. 
All they care about is their bottom line and making money. And health of the NFL players be damned. Fan convenience be damned. Fan, uh, fan wallet and fans budgets and fans bank accounts be damned. Could care less. Could care less about the about the about the players and you and I the fan. And as I said last week, talking about ref ball, if there's two groups of people, if you're a professional sports league, at least if it was me, be the commissioner of the NFL, the NBA, the NHL, or uh, Major League Baseball, there's one thing that would matter to me is how do I make this sport better and make sure that my fan, that the fans of the sport and the players are taken care of. Because without those two groups of people, you don't have you don't have a pro sports league. Without the players that play in it, that make the that make that that are the that's the, that are the talent that makes the league the money, and then without the fans who consume the product, who invest in your product, who are the backbone of your product, when you take them away, you also go out of business and you close up shop. So they jam Thursday night football because they feel the need that all thirty-two teams, for whatever the reason, have to play have to play a Thursday night football game to waste our time. On top of the fact they give us they give us they give they give the players that they, that seventeenth game is so unnecessary and is so stupid and makes zero literal sense. It is it is absolutely. Mind-boggling how little sense how little sense that this extra seventeenth game makes. No sense. And in that same season, here you go, Monday Night Football playoff game. For what reason? For what literal reason? It makes absolutely zero sense. Zero. Zero. It's stupid beyond comprehension. Makes no sense. And then from the fan standpoint, you know, how about how you know how about the how about the West Coast fans? How about the West how about the fans that live out west of the Mississippi? That 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 live out that live westward of the central time zone. What about them? What they don't they don't count? They don't like to watch they don't like to watch playoff football too. So and I understand, well, I mean, you just make the argument about Thursday night football and Sunday night football and uh, look, regular season football is one thing. Playoff football is is a is a totally different animal. First of all, Sunday. First of all, nobody's doing. If the East Coast ain't doing much of anything at five fifteen, five twenty on a Sunday afternoon, neither are the people in the West Coast more times than not. Monday nights, Thursday nights, I get it. But hey, we've had Monday night football for over fifty years. Thursday night football isn't going away. What are you going to do? And if the game stinks and the matchup stinks and the and 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 if and you know and there is a group of football fans that have the mentality if it ain't if it ain't a if it ain't a great matchup a la um 
I know I was uh, a la last year's uh, Monday Night Game Week 3, Chiefs-Ravens. If it isn't Chiefs-Ravens or my team ain't playing it or isn't playing in the game, if they have a favorite team, they don't watch. You know, regular season football, especially with the primetime games, there's so much of it, and the, and it's on and it's on Sunday, Sunday nights, Monday nights, and Thursday nights, or then Sunday afternoons. On top of it, you'll live. You know, some people, some some fans, some sports fans, some football fans are like that. They miss the regular season, Thursday night, Monday night game, especially if the if the uh, if they don't have an interest in it, fantasy wise, betting it, their favorite team isn't playing in it, or the matchup stinks. They'll live if they miss if they miss the first quarter. If they don't if they don't get back till you know if they don't get home from work or from school till halftime. Playoff football, it's a different animal. Different animal. Outside of the NCAA tournament, there's nothing like playoff football. Everybody says there's nothing like playoff hockey. Uh, yes and no. Because basketball, baseball, you get you know best. You get your best of five, best of seven series. I understand the intensity's better, but whenever I hear that phrase, I, I kind of like eh, no, not really, because you got two other sports leagues where the where your playoff format is is. Kind of, sort of, the exact same thing. But I digress. Outside of the NCAA tournament, there's nothing like there's nothing like playoff football when it comes to the fact that it's one game, winner go home, winner moves on, loser see you till next year. On outside of the NCAA tournament, the NFL playoffs is the only sort of it's the only cutthroat postseason out of all the major sports. Basketball. Basketball, baseball, hockey, best, best of five, best of seven series. You have bad game one, there's always game two and three. Football, there is no game two or three. One game. Make or break your season. You win, you move on to the next round, you lose, you go home. Or if you're the home team and you lose, you stay home. So it's a different animal. And how about the and how about the how about the person that works the nine to five that's got, that you know that has to deal with rush hour traffic, which at five o'clock anywhere in this country it's rush hour traffic hell, especially if you live especially if you live in a highly populated city or area in, in your state. Whether it be Los Angeles, whether it be the Bay Area, San Francisco, California, the the Baltimore, the Baltimore, the Greater Baltimore, Washington D.C. metro area, New York City, you pick. Five o'clock. It it is it, it's 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 the meat and potatoes of rush hour traffic. So they're gonna start an NFL. So you can, so, so they're gonna start an NFL playoff game. When when the people out when the when the football fans out there on the West Coast are are are, st- are going to be stuck in rush hour traffic on a Monday night, trying to get home from work, M- missing kickoff in the first quarter and help privately the first half because they're stuck in traffic trying to get home from work. But yet, but yet we must start. We must start. We must start. An NFL playoff game on a Monday night. We must start it then. We must start it. 
To hell with the West Coast fan that has to go to work and has to deal with and has to deal with the commute coming from work on their way home and the five o'clock, five fifteen, five twenty, five thirty uh, portions of the day. You know, screw them and screw the uh, and screw and screw the young fan, the young kid, the high school, the high school student, the middle school student. You know, who that may or may not have extracurricular after school activities, whether it's playing a sport, a club, tutoring, they tutor a kid, whatever it might be. They miss out first quarter, first half of an NFL playoff game. Because gosh darn it, we must have we must have it at eight thirty on a Monday night. This is going to be a disaster. It's mark my words. This is going to be a disaster. Monday night football games don't draw nearly as strong a ratings as they used to. Okay. So it's not like that. So I understand that the Monday Night Football ratings in general, as a whole, have been up. But it's not like that. But it's not like that. You know that Monday Night Football is up here, and Thursday Night and Sunday Night Football are in the toilet. This this isn't the money. This isn't your your father's Monday Night Football circa 1981. All right, I'm sorry. Okay, I understand the the the, the aura and the cachet of Monday Night Football, but let's be fair. The, the you know the, the ratings for Monday Night Football aren't what they were you know 30, 30, 35 years ago. Let's call it like we see it. And putting a playoff game on Monday night compared to having the triple header that they had last year on the Sunday and Saturday, it's not gonna make that big of a difference. Okay. Nobody, nobody's de- going. Nobody's dealing with rush hour traffic at five fifteen on on a on a on a late Saturday afternoon in January, as they would on a on as they would on a Monday. People coming home from work, coming home from school, and like I said, what about the, what about the diehard football fan that that you know that loves that loves football, loves watching playoff football, everything else, but it, but is a but is a varsity but is a varsity athlete. At their local high school, they they you know they're they're a varsity hockey player, varsity basketball player that that, that you know that they they live out on the west coast, and pre- and practice runs late, or they have a game and they and they and they miss a large chunk the first half of a of of, a, of an NFL playoff game, and say they forget the DVR or they don't like watching. Live sporting events via the DVR. They want to sit there and watch it live. What about that? Well, what about what about those ratings? And the parents and the loved ones of, of those of those student athletes that 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 has to either hang around and find something to do and keep themselves in the area to pick up their kid to pick up their kid from school, pick up their kid from from, from basketball or hockey practice. What about them? Wrestling practice, or, or or goes or goes to their wrestling match, goes to their hockey game, goes to their basketball game. What about those people? What what they don't count? Because those are the ratings. Because those are the ratings that you're getting rid of. Pe- the West Coast people, 
People that people that are coming home from work, they aren't home sitting in front of the television. They're they're in their cars. They're on the train. They're riding the subway. They're taking Uber. Coming home from work. Coming home from school. Coming home from their from their from their extracurricular post school activities. What they don't count. Because gosh darn it, we must play a, a, a Monday Night Football playoff game. I mean, really. And I swear to you, every single thing, I mean, the NFL, I've, I've never seen a league like this. Every single thing that, that every single thing, every single perfect thing about them, they somehow, someway managed to screw up. We had a 16 game uh, regular season schedule since 1978. For 40, what, 42 years. But for whatever the reason, we, 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 we are compelled to add a 17th game, which makes no sense. It's an unfair scheduling advantage because, you, because you're going to have years where some teams that play in certain conferences have more home games than other, team and, than other teams in other conferences, a la the AFC and the NFC, where, where the AFC this season has, has nine home games compared to the NFC that has eight. Not to mention you screw up your schedule. Because it should have, because regardless, whether you want to play 12 games, 14 games, 16 games, or even 18 games, how in the world can you create a, a equal balanced schedule for, a regular, for your regular season and not have the game total wound up at an even amount number of games? It's no coincidence why the NBA and the NHL play 82 Major League Baseball plays 162, and the NFL formerly played 16. It's an even amount of numbers. It's supposed to be that way. And then you throw everything on its axis, adding this unnecessary 17th game. Because of your greed. Nothing wrong with the 16th game schedule, but we got to add a 17th game. I mean, my goodness gracious. People, you know, you hear murmurs of people saying, you know what, the NFL, you know, they should get around and see if they can put the Super Bowl on a Saturday because 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 the lawmakers don't want to make uh, the day after Super Bowl Sunday a, uh, you know, a federal slash national holiday. NFL says, how about Monday Night Football? How about a Monday Night Football playoff game instead? Nobody asked for that. Players didn't ask for it. Fans didn't ask for it. Nobody asked for it, and quite frankly, nobody wants it. It's the playoffs. Play your games on Saturdays and Sundays. Quit being so freaking cute and extra and unnecessary. Nobody asked for that. And I don't want anything about player safety. These idiots add a 17th game on the schedule and don't even have the common courtesy and the decency. They give them an extra bye week. And oh, by the way, here's a Monday Night Football playoff game. If you win the game, you got a short week. Screw you. And screw the fans that live out on the West Coast that's going to be stuck in traffic by the time the game kicks off.
It's stupid, it's asinine, it's selfish, it's tone deaf, and it is just, it, 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 is, it is the height, the height of insanity and irresponsibility. Screw the fans, screw the players. Screw the players' safety. We care less about them, and screw the and screw the fans. That's you know the fan that's going to be worrying himself to death as soon as they get up on that Monday morning. I mean, holy crap! My team has a playoff game tonight. That's going to be that's going to be barely able to function at school and work. It's going to be a nervous wreck all day long. And then they get, you know, knowing that their team's season could be over in five, in, in three and a half, five hours. It's going to be sitting on pins and needles all day because their team has to play a Monday Night Football playoff game. And then if they lose, they got to they gotta be able to stomach getting up and going to work on Tuesday morning. When they went to bed at a quarter to midnight at night. And screw the people on the West Coast that got to deal with the rush hour traffic that might miss the first quarter of the first half. They don't count, apparently, according to the NFL's eyes. And, then, and this is a season after they made such a big hubbubaloo and made such a big deal and were pumping their fists and celebrating and gyrating all proud of themselves because the quote-unquote super wild card weekend was such a huge success when they had the three when they had the three games on the back-to-back days one four and eight o'clock. That's a success. New thing, extra playoff t- an extra playoff team in each in each league. So the two seed plays wild card weekend, so you get three, so you get uh, six games in 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 a two day period. It's a new thing. Everybody loves it. Yet the NFL's like, nah, well, you know, everybody loves it. Let's 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 change it, guys. And you know what? We'll we'll take we'll take a game away from uh, we'll take we'll take a game from from Saturday and we'll and we'll bump it over the we'll bump it to Monday night. So ESPN can find something to air, then the Bachelor dancing with the stars for the nine thousandth time. It makes you sick. It makes you sick. It, it, it really, really does. Everybody loved Super Bowl, Super Wild Card Weekend last year, or should I say, back in January, comes a huge hit, a huge success. Everybody loves it. The games were good for the most part. Whole not, everything. Yet the NFL is like, nah, everybody loves it. You know what? Let's change it. We, you know what we really need? A Monday Night Football playoff game. I mean, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? That nobody asked for. And nobody wants. And nobody needs. And no, Ian Rappaport, it's not fun. It's stupid, asinine, and a waste of my time. And a season in which they added an unnecessary 17th game, and they didn't even have the decency to give them an extra bye week on top of it. And I tell you something right now, 
and I'm going to get to the picks in just a minute. i tell you something right now. There needs to be somebody at the NFL Players Association's office, office that's going to put their foot down and say, you know what, and get with their own constituency as, as the Players Union and put their foot down and say, you know what, guys, we ain't putting up with this crap. They're not going to sit up here and jam Thursday night football down in our throats like they have for the last 15 years. And they're not going to add a 17, not going to add the 17th game, which we didn't need and we don't want, and 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 and, and could and could and is a, a a further risk to our safety as players. And all on top of it, by the way, not even have the common courtesy to give us an extra bye week. On top of it. And oh, by the way, a Monday Night Football playoff game where if you win the game, great, but you also have a shorter week of preparation and a shorter week of recovery for the next for the for your next playoff game, while you're while you're while you're trying to accomplish your what your your eight month goal since training camp broke in July of winning a Super Bowl. Somebody in the NFL players' office needs to put their foot down and needs to stand up to the NFL and stop this nonsense, because this league's greed and because it is because this league's this league's greed and gluttonous behavior is going to destroy it. It won't be you know the XFL or or a new alternative football league that's going, that's going to destroy the NFL. The NFL is going to destroy the NFL if they don't stop. Nobody needed nor asked nor wanted a 17th extra game, and nobody need nor wanted nor asked for a Monday Night Football playoff game. That's going to inconvenience the West Coast fans, and it's going to screw over. It's going to screw over your teams and mess with the competitive balance. Worry about that instead of farting around, adding these dopey, stupid extra games and these gimmicky and this gimmicky garbage with the Monday Football playoff games. And and every single time I turn around, I gotta hear about somebody betting something and some new godforsaken partnership with some betting company. Nobody can't gives a crap about that nonsense. Get, work, forget that and focus on this. And they all claim to do it in the name of money. If you're making money hand over fists like that, why don't the Bengals have an indoor practice facility then? It's shared revenue, isn't it? Anyway. Week three picks. National Football League. In the league where they play. For pay. Game number one between the Arizona Cardinals and the Jacksonville Jaguars. Arizona's favorite minus seven in the game. Jacksonville trying to get off the schneid, starting going into this season. Give me the Arizona Cardinals to win the game 35-20. Indianapolis Colts going up against the Tennessee Titans. Titans favorite minus five and a half coming off of their 15-point comeback victory on the road in Seattle while the Colts trying to get off the schneid starting their season at 0-2. Give me the Titans to win the game 28-21.
Ravens favorite minus nine, excuse me, eight and a half against the Detroit Lions. The Lions trying to get off the schneid, get their first win of the season. Lost their first two games to the 49ers and the Green Bay Packers. They return home as the Ravens uh, hit the road uh, once again, coming off of their emotional victory over the Kansas City Chiefs last Sunday night. Give me the Ravens to win the game 31-17. Washington football team going up against the Buffalo Bills. Bills favored minus eight points. Buffalo with an impressive, uh, albeit two of us hurt in the game, 35-0 victory over the Miami Dolphins last week, while Washington hits the road for the first time this season, coming off of their uh, last second one against the New York football Giants last Thursday night. Give me Buffalo to win the game 27-21. Saints and uh, Patriots. Patriots favored by a field goal, minus three. Give me the Patriots to win the game 24-21. Chargers heading into Kansas City. Kansas City, of course, aforementioned, coming off of their uh, gut-wrenching loss to the Baltimore Ravens on Sunday night. Uh, they return home to face the uh, Los Angeles Chargers, who come uh, thanks to a ref ball and a nice couple plays by Dak Prescott, losing their game uh, thanks to a Greg Zerline field goal in the closing seconds of regulation, giving the Chargers to win the game 31-28. Falcons heading into New York to take on the G-Men, who are favored minus three. Uh, Atlanta Falcons, they started their season 0-2. They started their season 0-2. Could be one of the worst teams in the NFL, while the Giants got to prove to everybody that they're for real and start making some signs of progress. And by progress, I do mean winning games. Give me the Giants win the game 24-13. The Chicago Bears going up against the Cleveland Browns. The Browns' favorite minus seven. Coming off of their win uh, to even themselves up at 1-1 one one, heading into week three. While the Chicago Bears coming off of beating the Browns' interstate division rival Cincinnati Bengals at home. Give me the Browns win the game 27-17. Speaking of the Bengals, they head into Pittsburgh to try to win their first game in Pittsburgh since 2015. And to try to win two games in a row against the Pittsburgh Steelers, getting, of course, back to last December on that Monday night of before Christmas. No T.J. Watt in the game with a groin injury. Repeat, no T.J. Watt. Pittsburgh favorite minus four going up against the Bengals, who lost last time out, of course, to the Chicago Bears. Didn't show up. Pittsburgh uh, got ran out of the building thanks to Derek Carr and that dynamic Raider offense. Give me the Steelers to win the game 17-10. Dolphins got shut out their last time out against uh, the Buffalo Bills. They had the Vegas to take on the Raiders who have started season 2-0. Give me the Raiders to win this game 27-10. Bucks favored by a point going up against the Los Angeles Rams. Rams started season 2-0 taking care of business against the Indianapolis Colts last time out while the Tampa Bay Buccaneers uh, took care of business against the Atlanta Falcons at home last week. The Bucks' first road game of the 2021 season. Uh, they're favored by a point minus one. Give me the Bucks to win the game 28-25. Seattle's favorite minus one and a half going up against the Minnesota Vikings for the umpteenth year in a row. Vikings start the season 0-2. Really could easily be 2-0 if it wasn't for the heroics of Kyler Murray and Joe Burrow and the legs of Matt Prater and Evan McPherson. They take on the Seattle Seahawks, who blew a 15-point lead to the Tennessee Titans at home last week. S give me the Seahawks to win the game 31-21.
Jets trying to get trying to get their first win of the season to knock off the undefeated uh, Denver Broncos, who are favorite minus ten and a half. That's just too easy. Giving the Broncos to win the game 31-13. Green Bay Packers going up against the San Francisco 49ers. Packers took care of business to even up their season at 1-1 one one thus far. Uh, taking care of business against the Detroit Lions on Monday Night Football. They head back out on the road again to take on the 49ers. This being their home opener. Having begun the season 2-0. Taking care of business against the Detroit Lions and the Philadelphia Eagles. San Francisco favorite minus three and a half. Give me the Packers to win the game 27-24. Philadelphia taking on Dallas. Philadelphia um, coming into Dallas. Dallas has played well uh, with a nice gutty victory like I earlier mentioned against the uh, Chargers at SoFi. It's their home opener on Monday Night Football. First meeting uh, for these two in 2021. Give me the Dallas Cowboys to win the game by the final score of 35 to 21 and those are your week three picks against the spread and that is your show and another episode of the Amatella Kitaias podcast in the books if you like what you heard please subscribe to the program if you haven't already follow your boy on twitter at and and instagram as a matter of fact at the j shield Follow the show on Twitter at Amatel underscore ATIUs and the show on Instagram at Amatel underscore podcast. It is your boy Jai Shields. Talk to you next week. Enjoy week three of the National Football League, and I will talk to y'all then. Be safe. See ya.